Welcome back to the Crying in My Cheesecake podcast. I am Danielle, your host, and I am just grateful you are here for my stories. Today's story is about this conviction I had on the scarcity mindset. I talk to clients so much about the scarcity mindset, and I thought I'd had a grip on my own scarcity mindset until I realized I didn't. So I was listening to this podcast called Mind Pump, and I listen to it often, actually. It's a podcast about fitness and science and a lifestyle stuff, and they're just really good guys. I It's a lot of bro talk, and it's a lot of um, conversations that kind of hit home to me. But this conversation that they were having on this episode, and I will link it in the show notes, but this conversation that they were having about rehabbing their injuries and muscle loss and things hit me right square in the chest. In July of this year, in 2020, I had a major pelvic floor reconstruction surgery. I did it because the quality of my life was continually getting less and less in regards to the obvious of peeing my pants. But let me explain to you just how bad it was getting. I could soak the poisy pads, and you know what I'm talking about, down the pad aisle, the, or excuse me, the personal feminine hygiene aisle. And they're these purple bags and they're P-O-I-S-E. I thought they were called poise, but they're, I guess, they're pronounced poisy. These are the things you learn as you get older and struggle with keeping urine inside of your body when it's supposed to be kept in. I, you know, I, I've frequent, frequent in these aisles. I frequently bought these products and I could soak multiples of these pads multiple times a day. And that was just for daily living. As I continued with my workouts, I was having to stop four to five times or more just to try to go pee, even though I had already gone, right? I had this urgency to pee, but I'd already gone on myself and constantly having to clean up my workout area, constantly washing my workout clothes because they smelled like pee and they were soaked in pee. If I had to, if I had an intestinal virus, I always was prepared by wearing these super thick grandma poisy pads. And I don't mean to be grandma as in a derogatory term, but you know what I'm talking about, you know, nursing home type situation. I'm wearing these super thick pads when I was sick with intestinal viruses, just in case I had to puke. Now, I don't know why I bought them. And in fact, in my stories, but when COVID was hitting and people were stocking up on, on toilet paper, I was stocking up on pee pads because the, the big uh, symptom is the coughing. And I was like, oh, shoot, I'm going to have to get something to help counteract my, my coughing and peeing together. When I had an intestinal virus, it didn't matter that I had a pad on. I had this whole routine down. I would make sure I had a pad, make sure I had um, underwear. I didn't care that I was going to have to wash the next day or that same night. And not because of diarrhea, but because I would pee them. And then I would not wear pants to bed. I'd just wear like a t-shirt or a longer nightgown. And then I would hope for the best when I bent over to vomit in the toilet. But that's when the floodgates would run. And I literally mean run. I'll never forget the first time I flooded a bathroom floor. It was at our house in Indianapolis, and I was wearing my, let's just say, intestinal virus uh, attire. I was wearing a t-shirt and sweat, and I did wear sweatpants to bed that night because it was a little cool. But I had that watery mouth feeling in the back of my mouth. You know what I'm talking about. And I ran to the bathroom. I commenced to doing my business, and when I was done, I started to look around me and realize that my feet were wet. Then I realized there, there I was, standing with urine all over the floor. I had soaked the bathroom rug which that wasn't really all the way underneath me. And I had so like there was standing urine on the floor. Not only did I have an upset stomach and have to clean up that mess, but now I had to clean up the floor, sanitize it, and somehow not feel embarrassed, not feel bad, not feel, I don't, 
you know what I'm getting at. And this happened every single time after that, that I had to vomit every single time. It got to the point of saying enough was enough when I was keeled over in stores because I started having what I thought were cramps. I thought they were just menstrual cramps or something was wrong with my uterus or something was wrong with, you know, um, maybe I was ovulating and things were going wonky. I don't know. They were not menstrual cramps. They were bladder spasms rendering me completely incapable of doing anything. In fact, I know um, when we moved to the Dayton, Ohio area that I was in the pet store. We had just gotten our dog, Hazel. She's a Danif, a Great Dane, and a a Neapolitan Mastiff mix. And we had just gotten her and we were at a pet store and we had just finished doing, um, I think it was like brunch or something. And we went to the store and I was all excited to find her some cool new toys and just accessories and things. And in the middle of one of the aisles, I was keeled over in so much pain. When I could finally get up, I asked the workers if they could tell me where the nearest bathroom was because it felt like I had to go to the bathroom. I felt like I had to pee. And I sat on the toilet and nothing came out. So when I was finally able to, I used my oldest son's shoulder as a cane and walked out to the car and just sat. I couldn't even drive home. And if you know me, I drive. Like I I have to be driving. I love to drive. Uh, It's probably a control freak thing. But my last straw, because I'm really stubborn and that didn't stop me. Like that wasn't a big enough wake up call for me. I'm so stubborn and will put off anything that causes me to be fixed because, you know, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm strong. And because fixing me, honestly, usually takes time. And I don't want to give that. I don't want to give time to that. I don't want to give time to my own healing. Anybody else feel that? So the last straw was on a Sunday before church and we were all dressed and ready. We were actually going to an earlier service because my husband needed to be at the airport around one. And that's when our normal service lets out. So we were all done up and ready to go. And then, you know, right before we leave, everybody always goes to the bathroom. I'm usually one of the last people to go to the bathroom and get out the door to drive because I have to drive. And that's obviously going to be a key. A, a consistent thing you're going to hear throughout this conversation about me driving. I went pee before I got in the car, except I never made it to the car. I was on that toilet crying and writhing in pain. The pain I cannot even describe to this day. I have given birth vaginally to three pretty large darn children. I've had two miscarriages and one of those was a DNC. And the pain I was experiencing on that toilet in that moment was like none of those. It was sharp. I had to keel my body over my, um, we have a squatty potty, so my my feet were kind of up higher a little bit. So like I was holding on to the front of my shins as I was bent over. And I had to like find some kind of a position to hold my own body from I I don't even know, you know, like when you're having a Charlie horse and all you want to do is hold your leg. That's what it felt like. That's what I, that was what my response was. That's not what it felt like. That's what my response was. Every time it spasmed while I was on the toilet, urine would leak out, but it wasn't like I was going pee. I thought I was good to go at one point and realizing that it had already been 35 minutes that I was going through that at the moment. So it was 35 minutes I was going through that pain. So I walked over to the recliner. It seemed like forever away. I thought that my bladder was going to relax or what was going on was going to relax, but I couldn't. It wouldn't stop. The pain got worse. And I somehow hobbled back to the bathroom for almost two hours that morning. That day when I got home after dropping my husband off at the airport when I was finally able to, I decided to call my primary care doctor and met with him. And he started me on some anti-bladder spasm medicine which ironically is what my daughter has been taking since she was about two years old, and then got me in line with the best urogynecologist in our area. 
except he was on a four month wait list. It was January of 2020 that I finally got in to see him. So it was last year, last fall that this all happened. And it was January 2020 when I got to see him and he did a full exam. Females, we all know what a full exam looks like or it should feel like. So I was expecting the speculum and all of that, all the pressure and all the pushing around, just kind of like feeling out the organs and like what's going on. But that wasn't all that he did. He checked my bladder fullness. He did tests on my urethra. And after all the assessments and questions, he finally gave me his evaluation. My urethra was loose. The way he described it was like he put his first finger up, used his other first finger and just kind of like jiggled that for the other one, the one that's kind of hanging out. And by being loose, by that urethra being loose is what caused my urethra to bounce doing simple things like walking. And then of course, with my workouts of jumping and lifting heavy, anything explosive, sneezing, coughing, laughing, any of that stuff, that loose urethra was signaling my bladder to release urine. Well, too many times of that signaling and false responses was causing my bladder to spasm. And that's what was causing me to keel over in pain. My bladder was a tad low, but nothing out of the ordinary for birthing three children vaginally and and the years of morbid obesity, it was not actually that terrible. My vagina was also very loose and I don't know how else to say it because I don't want it to be like, oh, I was loose, but man, it was, it was very uncomfortable and relations with my husband was not always that great because, or at least for me, and we had to find ways around that because it was just frustrating. The literal walls of my vagina were flimsy and incapable of withstanding the forces I was putting on it, which, okay, that sounds totally inappropriate. But I mean, the forces of life, of laugh, of all those things I said, of my workouts, of the um, lifting heavy, the explosiveness, the crying, the laughing, the joking, the sneezing, all of that, it was not able to withstand the forces I was putting on it in the just on daily tasks. That fact, along with my perineum, bladder, urethra, and all that area was not set up properly. My pelvic floor muscles have been too tight. They've overcompensated. They began to not work. They don't fully relax. And I'm still working on that to this day, actually. And they were not fully relaxing or contracting properly. A constant tension was was always down there and actually still is. I'm working on that with a therapist at the moment. And I hope to have her on here. Um, my trainer, I hope to have her on here one day. That constant tension means that something has to give though, right? So that's why I had leaking bladder, my bladder pain. I started having knee pain. My hips have pain, my ankle mobility, my posture, my digestion. Nothing was going well and my future did not look bright in mobility or strength or pain-free at all. So before I'd even walked into that initial appointment, my husband and I had both decided that surgical intervention was acceptable to us. Now, At the summary of my appointment with my doctor, he told me what kind of fix he could do to help me. And I knew going in there that I would say yes, no matter what the cost, financially or time recovery wise. We scheduled that appointment for July 14th of 2020 that day because we knew I was going to go on a vacation in April uh, before COVID hit and I would not be able to do the surgery as soon as possible, like he could have had me in within the next few weeks. Now, I want you to keep in mind, if a surgery that had been done in January would not have been recovered enough to walk Las Vegas in April, that this is a pretty invasive surgery. As the time got closer to surgery, I did what I could do. I prepped. 
I ordered prepared meals that would be nourishing to my body, but also the proper macronutrient distribution for my needs. I ordered from my favorite place, Herculean Meals, and from Snap Kitchen. I tried Snap Kitchen for the first time. My freezer was stocked. The fridge was ready. I ordered my favorite bone broth from Bare Bones. I got protein powders to support my protein intake needs for recovery if I couldn't handle the, you know, if I couldn't handle eating meats or things. I had vegetables and fruits ready and even some puree and bars if my stomach couldn't handle large quantities of of like fruits and vegetables either. I was totally prepped food wise. I was also prepared by hiring a professional, a certified professional who is also a CrossFit level two trainer to prehab me and then after surgery to begin my rehab. I was physically preparing for myself for the surgery as well. So I had my food figured out. I had my physical stuff figured out. I had my calendar figured out. I had everything figured out. But what I hadn't prepared myself for was the mental state. And I'd soon find that out. Fast forward to surgery day. I'd had two pre-op appointments, you know, one-to-one with my doctor, going back over everything he was going to do. He got me my medicines and supplements ordered or prescribed and I, that I needed to take after surgery. So I was just prepared. Like I, when surgery was over, I could literally just go home. I asked all the questions I could think of and there I was. The last thing I had to do was blood work with a nurse the week before surgery. And then three days before surgery, I had to do a COVID test. I drove myself to the hospital <laughs> because it's just a thing I do. Driving to the hospital is one thing I can control about that day or could control about that day. I drove to the drop off of doors. I kissed my husband goodbye at the van doors because COVID, you know, with the COVID thing, he didn't get to stay. He could have, but with the kids home alone and no reason for him to be there, it was just okay for, you know, if I'm going to be occupied and not coherent, he may as well go home and be productive. And that way he could take off some time from work if I needed him afterwards. I am greeted by a gal, you know, now when you go to a hospital or doctor's office, they shoot a thermometer gun at your forehead, make you answer all these questions. Do you have a cough? Do you have all, have you been out of the country? Well, I thought the borders were closed. Anyway, I'm taken to the elevator by this gal after my temperature was checked and I was signed into the surgery list. She hit the elevator button for me. Like legit, I couldn't even hit my own elevator button. As the doors opened in the surgery check-in, I stood there. I confirmed my information and waited for the nurse to come and get me and take me back to my pre-op room. In that pre-op room, this nurse, she takes my phone and my backpack away from me. She gives me a gown and tells me what to change. Obviously, I'm supposed to take off everything, so I don't know what that was. Anyway, I, of course, had to pee about 60 times or felt like it. And, of course, I had to take a bowel movement at one point. And I'm like, oh, great. I don't have a bidet. I can't clean myself up. Anyway, that's neuroticism, I'm sure. I was there three hours before my surgery time. No phone. A cable TV with so many commercials, nothing to read, and I was left with my own thoughts and the occasional nurse coming in. Oh, I did forget to mention, I was an IV guinea pig. That was so not cool. I am one who, (laughs) I have vasovagal issues, and if you don't know what that is, I pass out on a dime, pretty much, on with anything that I can feel, sense, um, or, you know, if someone starts telling me about an episiotomy experience or their bone-breaking experience, then I will pass out, I promise you. So I let this woman, you know, I let the nurse know that was intaking me, and but yet they still send a brand new nurse. No offense to new nurses. I know you need to have guinea pigs, but not with someone that has vasovagal issues. So they send me a brand new nurse, to try to put an IV in, in me. Now, they would not do my hand, They or the, excuse me, they would not do my, you know, the increase of my elbow. And I don't, they claimed it was because I might stay overnight, but my doctor never said I was going to stay overnight anyway. So they wanted to do my upper arm or my hand and the gal could not get it, even though you can clearly see the veins in my skin. So she could not get it. And all that to say, 
I was blessed with a no-nonsense boomer nurse who just said, let me show you how. And she smiled at me over her mask. Really, she was smiling because she saved herself of a patient passing out on her before surgery. I know, I get it. It's not about me, but thanks for not putting me through that. Again, my mental state was not prepared for what was ahead. And then, you know, when you're ready for surgery, it's like all of a sudden these people start rushing in and out of your room. I signed a lot of papers, met all the important people who were going to be taking care of me. But right before I was given some sort of volume type thing, I was asked to sign a paper that added two more procedures to my surgery. At that point, after waiting so long, I literally said, sure, I don't care what you're going to do. Just fix it all up down there and I'll sign off on it. It was all good. The surgery was much more invasive than I originally thought and the doctor thought, but that's okay because it's super bio individual. And when you get you just don't know until you get in there. And I get it. And I'm grateful for it. Like I'm a 1000% grateful for it. The pain was moderate to high at sometimes. But honestly, it was probably more burning and intense like postpartum pain, but on steroids. So like postpartum pain, but on steroid kind of thing. I definitely used a lot of padsicles. After surgery, time went on in my recovery at home. I got depressive. I had to find something to to do to keep my mind engaged. I made cards from scratch and sent sent those cards to people. I would try to push too hard and then I would bleed or push too hard and then experience pain out of nowhere. Sometimes there was this and it still happens, but sometimes there was just this wall of fatigue that I could no longer I felt like I could no longer exist awake. This pain though, it was so If I push too hard and there's this pain, and sometimes it still happens to this day, um, a pain that's so deep inside, I couldn't even touch it if I wanted to. I just want to put something on it to fix it, and that's not how it works. I experienced emotional pain of wanting to do things, but not able. I experienced pain of having to break up with my own expectations and just lean into what my body needed. And quite frankly, it still needs. It's still in the process. I am. It is October. It's three months Actually, it will be three months tomorrow as of, re- of this recording, three months tomorrow of my recovery, and I have at least three months more to go. So after my six-week appointment with my surgeon, I was released to start walking more, but walking hurt. I couldn't walk without pain or stand very long or sit very long. Laying down on my hip was the best relief I could get. So I was released to walk some, but it was a struggle. The weight I could lift, it, was, it went from 10 pounds to no more than 25 And at this point, I'm still not lifting much more than 55 pounds. And this is normal and natural. And I'm learning to just move my body in healing ways right now and not push it. What happened that night that I was listening to that podcast in the shower, though, is that I realized I was someone who always wanted the easy way out. I would get a cortisone shot or I'd get a pill or I'd reach for something else to take away the pain and then push through the pain, not ever thinking about the core healing that needs to take place. How freaking selfish was I when I started to try or to get really depressive and frustrated that I couldn't work out five days a week and hike the other day of the week? How selfish is it that I just went through this major surgery to change my quality of life in so many areas that I would start trying exercises my trainer hasn't recommended I do yet? And when I'd send her a video, I was already overcompensating for pain. I was convicted in that moment of listening to that podcast that I was being selfish because of my root problem of scarcity. I thought I'd already overcome scarcity in life, but apparently I haven't. I used to struggle with scarcity around food. And if something like, for example, if something tasted good, I better eat it all right then and there. or I never experienced that food again, that good food again. As I'm speaking, please visualize with me what I'm saying. 
If you've never been to Scotty's Brew House in Indianapolis, I'm not even sure if it's still there at the moment, by the way, but they had this cookie monster and I ate it probably two to three times a month while I was pregnant with my daughter and then afterwards. Now this cookie monster, let's visualize together. It was five chocolate chip cookies baked fresh. Five. Five chocolate chip cookies. These cookies were, you know, placed in like kind of a circle around a plate. And then they were topped with at least five large scoops of vanilla bean ice cream so that the ice cream was melting over over some of the top of that fresh baked, you know, cookies because of the heat or whatever. And then on top of the ice cream was drizzled with caramel and chocolate syrups. Oh, and on top of that was whipped cream and a cherry. Not any of the cherry, but, you know, I did eat the whole plate of Cookie Monster on my own every single time after eating a whole meal. And I probably had an appetizer that night. And if you know Scotty's Brew House, none of that that I chose was ever high quality food. It was fried. It was all fried. I ate that way, though, for so many years of my life that if it tasted good, I'd eat as if I had never eaten it before. I'd wolf it down, smacking my lips when I was done. I thought because of my nutrition support and counseling, though, that I'd gotten rid of the whole thing of of scarcity mindset throughout my whole life. But this podcast showed me that I was scared to lose my muscle strength, my shape, and all the hard work I'd put in my body, that I wouldn't get to be a strong woman anymore because I was a thick woman now. I started strength training because I want the strength of my insides to match my outsides, my outsides to match my insides. And you know what happened? I slowly forgot where my strength actually comes from. It's not my muscles, although they do need strength and proper food and functional exercise to help them and and keep them well. But my strength comes from the Lord. If I want my outsides to match my insides, I have to do the work on the inside first. And that's where the real strength comes from. Remembering that and then remembering how God created me. Muscle memory is a real thing that while it may have taken me three and a half years to build this much muscle, It won't take me another three and a half years to get back what I've lost. And I wonder, is selfishness a root of scarcity and a root of not remembering who is actually in control and honoring him? I wonder if the root of scarcity is that we've been taught that more is always better. More money must be a better life. More food must mean you have an eclectic taste or you entertain better or you're better uh, with hospitality. More stockpile of Clorox wipes and toilet paper? You must be better prepared for a quarantine than anybody else. What is it with us and needing what we don't need? I wonder if it's the creation of an idol, an idol of those things and not actually worshiping the one true God. I wonder if we struggle with sex and self-pleasure and food and alcohol and shopping, gambling, apathy toward God or anything else because we have a scarcity mindset. One where we behave in a way of, I don't know when I'll get my next fix. I don't know when I'll get ple- pleased next. I don't know when I'm going to get fed next or experience this next. Most of you are listening to this podcast. Most are Westerners. And I and I need to apologize to my Indian listeners, which I'm so grateful that you are here and, and being very active. I don't, I'm ignorant of your current culture right now, but I'd love to learn. But there is some place in our life where we have this mindset of scarcity not knowing when we'll get our next fix. And it's not because you're poor or going without anything. It's because you need a fix or a hit of something to worship, to fill an emptiness inside you that that helps to define you in a tangible way. Am I right? You see a scarcity mindset as the belief that there will never be enough, resulting in feelings of stress, fear, or anxiety. 
But on the other hand, an abundance mindset flows out of deep inner sense of personal worth and security. Security. It's grounded in the belief that there is more than enough for everyone. I think it's time to get real with ourselves and with God. Let him reveal to us where we need to rewire our brains and to see truth in capital T, truth, and not focus on what we don't have. For me, it's the fitness as of right now. It's the listening to my body's cues, listening to my professional team, listening to God and what he wants me to learn in these moments, and then doing just that. No more and no less. Honoring God with everything I have starts inside of me. And God is not a scarcity God. He's not a God of scarcity. He's in fact abundant, full. He knows my tomorrow and knows my every hair on my head. He knew what I'd struggle with right now and is just waiting for me to turn my face, just turn my face to him so he can lead me to healing physically, mentally, and emotionally. on whatever platform you're listening on and leave me a rating. Thank you so much.